On Wednesday afternoons, we have a short, reflective service between 1 and 1.30pm, consisting of scripture readings, meditations and silences, which centre around a particular theme. This is that service, with the silences removed. If you wish to observe a moment of contemplative silence, then please pause the podcast at the relevant place and resume it when you're ready. If you like what we're doing at First Church and would wish to contribute to the work, then go to www.firstchurchbelfast.org and click on the donate button. Everything is gratefully received. Now, here is this week's lunchtime service. Good afternoon and welcome to our Wednesday lunchtime reflective service here in First Church Belfast. Our theme today is spiritual partners and if the bell rings during our service I may have to nip uh, out of camera here and let uh, people in. It's really just a short service about 20 minutes maybe a little bit longer of uh, scripture readings and meditations by various authors around this theme of spiritual partners. We begin with a prayer by Norman Nash. O God, you have made us for fellowship and have given us the power both to help and harm our fellows. Grant us the wisdom to know what is their good and the ready will to help them to attain it. Heal those we have wounded, strengthen those whom we have failed. Grant us all your healing grace and make our fellowship to be your family. Amen. I'm going to read a short extract from Now and Then by Frederick Buchner. It's sort of applicable to what we're doing uh, here in First Church on a Wednesday. Places are as full of mystery as times are, And almost from the start I knew that of all places it was the one that was right for me. The parish house seemed more part of the real working world than my home ever had been and thus made it easier to believe that maybe my work was real too. It was a place to put on a necktie for and to come home from. I could hear Bob Clayton and his wife Betty at work in the office downstairs, and the sounds of the typewriter, the telephone, and the comings and goings of the parish helped me believe in my more sanguine moments that obscure and crackpot as my labours were, they might still have some remote second story connection, at least with the Church of Christ. And more perhaps than anything else, there were, mid- there were the morning prayers except on the rarest occasions. Nobody ever came to them but Bob and me. The first thing every morning we would trudge across the grass to the church and ring the bell. On some days he would read the service and I the responses. On others we would reverse the procedure. The Lord be with you. And with thy spirit, O come let us sing, let us pray. The Psalms, the readings from the lectionary, the silences. At first I had the idea that my primary purpose in driving those 15 15 miles every morning was to write, 
and that the prayers were incidental. But later on I came to suspect that maybe the other way round was closer to the truth. And later on still, I was less sure than I had been in the long run. There was all that much difference between the writing and the praying anyway. In any case, most of what I wrote for the next ten years, I wrote in that small bare room, after those small bare services. And on the few occasions when I have looked into the room since, I've realised that part of me will always be homesick for it. Now some verses from Paul's first letter to the church at Thessalonica, from chapter 5, reading from verse 12. But we appeal to you, brothers and sisters, to respect those who labour among you and have charge of you in the Lord and admonish you. Esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. And we urge you, beloved, to admonish the idlers, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with all of them. See that none of you repays evil for evil but always seek to do good to one another and to all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Do not quench the spirit, do not despise the words of prophets, but test everything. Hold fast to what is good, abstain from every form of evil. And may the God of peace himself sanctify you entirely. And may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do this. Beloved, pray for us. Greet all the brothers and sisters with a holy kiss. I solemnly command you by the Lord that this letter is to be read to all of them. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. And this from A Place Apart by M. Basil Pennington. The rigorous demands of true friendship the gift of oneself, one's time, one's preferences, the nakedness and honesty are beyond the price many are willing to pay. Those who have not yet experienced what is purchased by such a price. Anyone who has been graced with true friendship knows the cost and knows the worth. And he knows too the ridiculousness of the fear that such friendship will undermine community. From the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 9, reading from verse 10. Now there was a disciple in Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, he answered, Here I am, Lord. 
the Lord said to him, Get up and go to the streets called Straight, and at the house of Judas look for a man of Tarsus called Saul. At this moment he is praying, and he has seen a vision of a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him, so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who invoke your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is an instrument whom I have chosen to bring my name before Gentiles and kings and before the people of Israel. I myself will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias went and entered the house. He laid his hands on Saul and said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on your way here has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and his sight was restored. Then he got up and was baptized and after taking some food he regained his strength. From Living Simply Through the Day by Tilden Edwards Unless we are particularly heroic or saintly persons, each of us needs a relationship with at least one other person who also seeks and trusts the simple way, the simple presence. Such a spiritual friend can be enormously supportive to us and we to them. Even if you meet or write to each other only once a month, it can be enough. Just knowing that someone else is struggling for the simple day with you, whether or not you speak together often, is encouraging. You feel a little less alone, a little less tempted to fall mindlessly into complicating traps. Someone else is there who knows whether or not you are trying to pay attention to the simple way that brings a kind of accountability that is important. When someone else knows and cares, then we pay that much more attention to what we're doing. From 1 Samuel chapter 20. Thus Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, May the Lord seek out the enemies of David. Jonathan made David swear again by his love for him, for he loved him as he loved his own life. Jonathan said to him, Tomorrow is the new moon. You will be missed because your place will be empty. On the day after tomorrow you shall go a long way down. Go to the place where you hid yourself earlier and remain beside the stone there. I will shoot three arrows to the side of it, as though I shot at a mark. Then I will send the boy, saying, Go find the arrows. If I say to the boy, Look, the arrows are on this side of you, collect them, then you are to come. For as the Lord lives, it is safe for you, and there is no danger. 
But if I say to the young man, look, the arrows are beyond you, then go, for the Lord has sent you away. As for the matter about which you and I have spoken, the Lord is witness between you and me forever. In the morning, Jonathan went into the field to the appointment with David, and with him was a little boy. He said to the boy, run and find the arrows that I shoot. As the boy ran, he shot the arrow beyond him. And when the boy came to the place where Jonathan's arrow had fallen, Jonathan called after the boy and said, Is the arrow not beyond you? Jonathan called after the boy, Hurry, be quick, do not linger. So Jonathan's boy gathered up the arrows and came to his master. But the boy knew nothing. Only Jonathan and David knew the arrangement. Jonathan gave his weapons to the boy and said to him, Go and carry them to the city. As soon as the boy had gone, David rose from beside the stone heap and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He bowed three times, and they kissed each other and wept with each other. David wept the more. Then Jonathan said to David, Go in peace, since both of us have sworn in the name of the Lord saying, The Lord shall be between me and you, and between my descendants and your descendants forever. He got up and left, and Jonathan went into the city. And a reading from A Testament of Devotion by Thomas R. Kelly. Within the wider fellowship emerges the special circle of a few on whom, for each of us, a particular emphasis of nearness has fallen. These are our special gift and task. These we carry by inward, wordless prayer. By an interior act and attitude, we lift them repeatedly before the throne and hold them in the power. This is work, real labour of the soul. It takes energy, but it is done in joy. But the membership of such special groups is different and overlapping. From each individual, the bonds of special fellowship radiate near and far. The total effect in a living church would be sufficient intersection of these bonds to form a supporting, carrying network of love for the whole of mankind. Where the fellowship is lacking, the church invisible is lacking, and the kingdom of God has not yet come. For these bonds of divine love and carrying are the stuff of the kingdom of God. He who is in the fellowship is in the kingdom. Two people, three people, ten people may be in a living touch with one another through him who underlies their separate lives. This is an astounding experience which I can only describe but cannot explain in the language of science. But in vivid experience of divine fellowship it is there. We know that these souls are with us, lifting their lives and ours continually to God and opening our, themselves, 
with us in steady and humble obedience to him. It is as if the boundaries of ourself were enlarged, as if we were within them and as if they were within us. Their strength, given to them by God, becomes our strength and our joy given to us by God becomes their joy. Some verses from Philippians chapter 2. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I may be cheered by news of you. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. All of them are seeking their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But Timothy's worth you know. How, like a son with a father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I will come soon. Still, I think it necessary to send to you Ephroditus, <laughs> my brother and co-worker and fellow soldier, your messenger and minister to my need. For he has, has been longing for all of you and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. He was indeed so ill that he nearly died, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but also on me, so that I would not have one sorrow after another. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, in order that you may rejoice at seeing him again and that I may be less anxious. Welcome him then in the Lord with all joy and honour such people, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to make up for those services that you could not give me. And from the message of the Wesleys by Philip Watson. Christianity, after all, is a religion of love, and not of self-love, but of love of one's brethren and neighbours in Christ. Fellowship has therefore always been a key word in Methodism, and in the original Methodism it was much more than a word. In order to make and keep it a living reality, Wesley divided his societies up into classes. These were groups of not more than a dozen members who met together once a week under the leadership of one of their own number for conversation on the spiritual life. The class meetings were not study circles, not discussion groups, and least of all, they weren't debating societies. They were Christ-centered fellowships. The members were taught to take seriously our Lord's promise that he would be present in the midst of wherever two or three were gathered in his name. Hence, when they met in class, they would sing, Jesus, we look to thee, thy promised presence claim. Thou in the midst of us shalt be assembled in thy name. 
thy name salvation is, which, which here we come to prove. Thy name is life and health and peace and everlasting love. Then they could go on to share their Christian experience with one another, their troubles and triumphs on the Christian way or on their quest for that way. And sometimes they confessed their sins to one another, sometimes took one another to task, but always with the aim of helping one another grow in grace, in faith, in hope and in love. And now a benediction. Lord, you know that I am not particularly heroic or saintly, that I need someone who will be my friend on this spiritual journey. Let me find them through my willingness to be a spiritual friend. <laughs>